Well, good morning. Mark Twain once said, many people are bothered by the scriptures that they cannot understand. He said, I am bothered by the scriptures that I do understand. (laughs) I've actually found that I really enjoy, in particular, the passages of scripture that at first... I, are confusing, that I, I don't quite get, that, that at first blush, they, they don't make sense to me. In fact, I, I've realized that if, if when I, I am confused or don't understand right away, that I'm, if I would push a little bit, if I would seek a little bit, if, if I would focus in and try and really get at, say, what Jesus is saying, that there's this beautiful pearl of wisdom, this amazing truth that, that he wants to communicate that I would have never gotten to if I didn't push and dig and seek to discover a little bit. This morning, we're going to look at a parable just like that, that at this parable in Luke 16, if you've brought your Bibles, great, would you open to Luke 16 with me? I will read it to you. But this parable at first blush is going to seem like Jesus is encouraging us to be dishonest with our wealth for personal gain. That doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? Right? And it's going to seem like he's pressing in. But do you know that part of the reason that he speaks in parables is that there's this idea that if we really want the brilliance and the truth and the knowledge and the transformation that Jesus is offering, we have to dig a little. Parables are not for the spiritually lazy. Parables were not meant to be so simple that anybody can go, oh, okay, that's good. No, in fact, parables sometimes can lead to somebody and go, what, Jesus, what are you talking about? I, I don't get it. And so parables in one profound sense are for those who are saying, all right, I don't get it, but I'm gonna push. I'm gonna seek. I'm gonna go after the truths and transformations that Jesus is communicating to us this morning. I'm going to tell you up front, he's not encouraging us to be dishonest with our, our wealth. All right? I don't, I don't want to spoil the surprise of the parable. I'll just tell you that right now. But I want to challenge us to say, what is he saying? What is this idea that he's communicating to us? So in, in Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1, It's about this dishonest manager. Here's the the parable that Jesus tells. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. The rich man has this wealth and he's put a manager in place and yet he's been accused, this manager, this steward of wasting the rich man's possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. Give an account of how you've stewarded my wealth. Because you cannot be manager any longer. The rich man's already decided that the manager 
is going to lose his job. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My, my master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I will do. The manager gets an idea. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So the manager called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill down, sit quickly, quickly, and make it 450. The, the manager, he cuts it in half, right? Building a little bit of tension in the story. I wonder what the master will do when he finds out that the, that the manager, the steward, just cut in half what this debtor owes his master. Verse 7, then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The tension is building. He, he's, he's reducing what? All these debtors owed the master. What is the master going to do? What's the rich man going to do when he finds out what the manager is doing? Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager. Am I reading that right? Is that the correct? It is. He commended. The, the manager, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. End of parable, actually. We'll come back to the more of those, so take the scripture off there. He, he stops that, and he ends, and so he, end of parable, he commends the dishonest manager. What in the world is Jesus saying in this parable? I mean, am I right? Does it seem like he's encouraging dishonesty? That, that use your wealth or other people's wealth dishonestly to get ahead in life, yes? Does that seem like what he's saying? Okay. Who's ready for communion? Shall we just do that and we're, we're good? What in the world is Jesus saying? Why would he tell this parable? Well, let's not be spiritually lazy this morning, shall we? Okay. All right. I wonder if like right at this moment, Peter would have been like, yeah, Jesus, I mean, your parables are pretty good. This one's lacking a little bit. I think it's, could I help along with the details? Because I think it's, it's off and yet, it's here. It's, it's significant. So if we're not spiritually lazy and we dig a little bit, what I encourage everyone to do with parables is you figure out who the players are. 
You discover who the, each person in the parable represents, and then sometimes what you can do is also is find your place in the parable. That will help us understand. In fact, I did do blanks. This, I haven't done blanks for a while, but I didn't want to give you all the answers, okay? So if you pull out your bulletin, there's blanks there, and we're going to figure out who the players are, and then also try and figure out our place where Jesus intends, and sometimes it's not the best place, but he almost always intends us to find a place, our place in the parable. So the first thing I'll ask you, this is a relatively easy one, is who is the rich man in the parable? Who? God. Yes, that's right, right? Who is the wasteful manager? Look at your neighbor and say, it's you. <laughs> it's you. Yes. Yeah. You don't want to do I didn't see everybody. Look at your neighbor and say, yes, it's you. All right. Who are the master's debtors? A little bit harder. I'm going to go with the people around you, the people in your life especially the people in need, especially those who are in debt in some way, spiritually, relationally, financially. Let me ask you this. The master's wealth, what does the master's wealth represent? It's a little bit harder. I want to suggest the master's wealth represents, yes, this is a Chicago Bears wallet, um, your treasure. The master's wealth represents your treasure, your talents and your abilities and your gifts. We just talked about Rosemary's talents and gifts, spiritual gifts. Those were part of the master's wealth, and your time. All right? See, the master's wealth isn't just, Jesus isn't just talking about treasure here. He's talking about, he's wanting to say, hey, I want to talk to you about how you invest your life. All that you are. All who you are. That part of the, the, the backdrop of this parable, that, that God, how you use your time, how you spend your time matters to God. How you leverage your gifts, your abilities, your talents, what you have been endowed with, how you leverage all of that matters to God and to Jesus. How you invest and spend your wealth, all that God gives, that matters to God. The rich man's wealth represents all who you are and all who, uh, all that you've been given. All right, here's the key to understanding the parable. Ready? I should have put this on in your outline for all right. 
But Jesus is talking about a transition here. He's talking about a time when we will go through a change in our lives. Did you notice that the dishonest manager is going through a change? What's that change? He's losing his job, right? The, the, the rich man is saying, no more do you have your job, all right? Now, who's the wasteful manager again in this parable? You, a little bit me, but more you in that, right? Okay, you and I, and, and um, we, he's saying, did you know you are going to go through a time of transition? He's not talking about retirement from your job. Any good financial planner will talk to you about what? You want to be ready when you retire. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What's Jesus talking about? What transition he's talking about? When you retire from life, this age, he's saying... uh, if, if you just are focused when you retire from your job, that's short-sighted. That's not being very smart. That's not being very shrewd. He's saying, I want to talk to you when you don't retire from your job, but you retire from life. Look at verse 9. We'll carry on the story. This is his first application. He says this, I tell you, to use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal eternal dwellings. He's talking about life after death, after life. He's talking about this. He's pointing us uh, to, to this idea that we all will face a time. At the very beginning, the parable begins with the rich man coming in and saying, hey, give me a count of your stewardship. Do you know we will face that moment? Do you know when that moment is? When we die and stand before God, we will be asked, the scripture teaches, to give an account. And it's been said, I I like how the, the simplicity of this, it's been said that you will be asked two questions. One relational question and one investment question. The first question is a relational question and the judge of all the earth will say, what did you do with my son? Did you hear his invitation to you? Did you receive his sacrifice on the cross to wipe away your sins? Did you receive his abiding and deep love for you? Did you live into the forgiveness that he offers you? Did you walk in relationship with him. That's the first question, the relational question that Jesus, that the father will ask regarding his son. There's another moment when uh, Jesus was talking about this transition, this time when we will stand before God and give an account. And Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 21. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those 
the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. See how relational that is. I don't want to get to that day of transition to give an account and for Jesus to look at me and go, now, now who are you again? I didn't. That would be a very bad moment, wouldn't it? What, what I long for in that day of transition is that as I've walked with him in intimacy in this life, so he knows and says, oh, I've been waiting. And in fact, I'm hoping that it's a carrying on of the conversation that I've been having with him for most of my adult life. In fact, I'm hoping that he'll say, now I'll, I'll give you all the answers you've been asking for, Eric. Right? I hope this, uh, it's a continuation. If it's an introduction, I'm in trouble. If it's a continuation, then I'm good. That's the first question. The first question was a relational question. The second question when we stand before God, what kind of question will it be? It'll be an investment question. Because the second question, according to scripture, is, what have you done with everything that I gave you? What have you done with the time? Do you know everyone's time is limited? How did you spend that? It matters to God. The gifts, the talents, the ability, the knowledge, the gifts, all of those things, it matters to God. How did you use those? your wealth, your possessions. How did you invest these? It matters to God. Listen, friends, he does not commend the manager for being dishonest. That's what trips us up. He commends the manager for having foresight, for anticipating he's going to be a place in need. So if he invests and gives to his, those who are debtors of the master, then they will welcome him, that they'll part, be part of that welcoming party for him when he goes through that time of transition. Do you see it? Let me explain it this way. Um, we had a, a World Vision child, a sponsor child that we were supporting for a number of years, uh, Kendra and I. And uh, one day we got a letter, a, a, a fateful letter, uh, so sad that this child that we're supporting um, was killed in a mudslide. And in fact, I, I think they lost the family, the, their house uh, was in the mudslide. So they asked us if we... Uh, wanted to support a child, another child and so forth. So we're very sad. Now, I believe that that child that we supported for a number of years went to the eternal dwelling, went to heaven. You with me? 
And I believe that we made an investment in this little girl's life. And that when Kendra and I go through that time of transition and stand before God, that even though we've never met that little girl, she'll be part of the welcoming party into heaven. Does that make sense? Do you understand? And so already Jesus is, he's not commending him for being dishonest. He's saying, boy, that was shrewd. That was really thoughtful. He planned ahead. He planned about his retirement, not from his job, but from his He made an investment. So his party, this welcoming party was happening for him when he stands before God. First truth and transformation is that he is saying, I want you to invest, invest in your life after death, after life. Second truth is this. I do want you to manage in a shrewd and trustworthy way. In fact, he goes on to verse 10 and 11 and 12. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? What's Jesus saying there? Let's focus in on that, that, the, that phrase, true riches. What does Jesus mean when he talks about true riches? I want to call it kingdom resources. He's talking about God's power and presence and mercy and grace and influence. That he is looking, that he is a God who is wanting to give all that we need. He's wanting to endow us with God's mercy and grace, with God's power and presence. He's saying that is true wealth. That kind of wealth will bring transformation to individual lives and this world. That's what the Father is wanting to give us. That's true wealth, spiritual power. But he's looking for people who are trustworthy with the, what I would call the small potatoes wealth. Do you know what the small potatoes wealth? Chicago Bears wallet. Well, that's a little bit higher than (laughs) your cars, our houses, our 401ks. All the things that we get jealous of other people for having so much of. That's not true riches. 
That's just a test for the real wealth in this world. He's saying, I'm looking after those folks who will be faithful with the little so that I can endow them with the true riches. Let me ask you this question. Who was more wealthy, Howard Hughes? Well, before I give the comparison, uh, you know, Howard Hughes, he was at one time the wealthiest person in the world, and when he died, you know how much his, his uh, wealth was, his estate was valued at? I, did a, I Googled this, $2.5 billion. In today's money, it's the equivalent of $11 billion that he had. Let's see if you know this off the top of your head. Who was more wealthy, Howard Hughes or Mother Teresa? Actually, I Googled how much, what was her net worth. There's no statistic. She, she received $192,000 um, uh, for her Nobel, Prize, uh, uh, Nobel Prize award. And to no one's surprise, what'd she do? She gave it to the, to the poor and the needy. She received these major, you know, million of dollars and, and she gave it all away. Now, let me ask you this. Can you imagine the coming home party that Mother Teresa had when she went through that time of transition and into eternal dwellings? I mean, they must have like emptied heaven, right? There are just so many people that she gave to and, 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 and said, yes, here is the wealth. And if we compare that to Howard Hughes, I don't know. I don't know. You see, the the kingdom of God is the upside-down kingdom and equates many things in a very upside-down way. One of those things is true wealth. Don't get lost. Don't get focused on the small potatoes wealth. Get focused on the true wealth. One more word about um, this, I wanted to say another thing about the word shrewdness. Shrewdness. Oftentimes we've understood that word to involve dishonesty and, and can be confusing with a parable like this. But in fact, shrewdness, that definition, doesn't include any kind of moral compromise. The definition of shrewdness, the original, is the quality of having or showing good powers of um, good powers of discernment, of judgment. So some of the synonyms of shrewdness is cleverness, intelligence, wit, common sense, discernment, insight, understanding, perceptiveness, and sageness. I didn't know sageness was a word. Boy, I'd like to have some sageness, right? 
with my, with my finances. It's saying, so it's saying to me, Jesus is saying, when it comes to finances, how you leverage your life, how you use all that God has given you, don't be naive. Don't be taken advantage of. Don't miss this. Use the wisdom that I want to give you to invest all that you have. Who knows that innocence is really good in terms of sin. He's calling us to be innocent in terms of sin. In terms of finance, not so good. He chooses a different word. It's shrewdness. He's saying, use your wealth. Be smart. Be intelligent. Be thoughtful. thoughtful. Be perceptive. I'm telling you, one of the great things about kingdom life is that we get to have Jesus as our personal investment strategist. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you what's going to happen if you're only planning for retirement. Short-sighted, don't do it. Are you planning for life after death, after life? When you stand, you want a big welcoming home party into heaven. Use your wealth now to make friends in eternal dwellings. All right, final truth and transformation here that I want to share from this parable. It's an obvious one, but I want to suggest that we forget it on a regular basis. In this parable and in life, who is the owner? No, it is not you. God is the owner. What are you? You're the manager, you're the servant, you're the steward. We forget that, don't we? It's easy because we use language like my car, my house, my, my 401k. And yet the truth and the reality is, is that he, the kingdom perspective of all that you have is that it's actually God's. I, I think this would be a huge difference in every financial decision that we made if we reminded ourselves, who's the owner? God. Look at your neighbor and say, not you. It is not you. You are the steward. Yes, you are the one. He is asking, he's saying, this is my wealth. I'm giving it to you and I will ask for an account of how I make this investment. Right? And I want you to be a wise steward because it's mine. It's not yours. Do you know we will receive? We will be an owner someday, right? When we go into the eternal dwellings, he wants to bless us with true wealth. In fact, he gives us some true wealth now in terms of presence and power, grace and mercy. Listen to what he says. He says, verse 12 and 13, let's just finish up this little section. He says, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, whose property is it? Who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
I've often wondered why he chose money to hold in contrast to God, right? To talk about mass. He could have chose a lot of other stuff, right? Children, right? Or spouses or career or fame. But the one other thing that goes after the mastery of our lives, he said, is money. Why did he choose money? I think because not because money is evil in and of itself, but because the enemy so often uses money with deceptive power in our lives. That money will lie to us, will manipulate us, will entice us to compromise our moral integrity. And he's saying, be careful. I want to leave you with this one story of a, of a homeless individual that comes to our church. We'll call him Samuel. And uh, I know Samuel. I, I've met and prayed with him a couple of times. So, um, you know, these little um, wooden boxes in the back is the need fund. And uh, some of you occasionally above your tithes and offerings give to the need fund. We use that when the homeless come. We, uh, we, we have a protocol. We have a limit. Um, and uh, we, we want to have a compassion of Christ for the homeless that come through our door. We also use that need fund for other things. One of them is for our own congregation. We have a, a, a different protocol for those who are in need. But Samuel had come and he had kind of been up to his limit. But this time he said, Pastor, uh, I have some good news. I said, what's that? He said, I got approved for, I think they call it SSI payments, right? So he was, he was approved and he was actually going to get a little back pay of a couple of thousand dollars that was coming in about a month. And then on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, he was going to get a monthly stipend. I said, Samuel, I'm so glad. We had actually prayed for favor and blessing the last time. And he said, listen, I, I realize I've got some big decisions I'm going to have to make. He's, he's living in his vehicle. There's layers of legal stuff and all of this. So as often as the homeless population, there's, there's layers of issues. And he said... I'm going to have to make some decisions because I'm going to get this. He called it a big carrot. And there's going to be a temptation to, to drink again. Samuel has been sober for a couple years now. So I took that as an invitation to give him some financial investment advice. I said, listen, Samuel, here's the first thing you want to do. When you get that big payment, you want to honor God. You want to take, I know, I know you're living in your vehicle, but you want to take, I would recommend 5% and giving it to the church that you worship at. He worships at another church. I said, I'd give that right away. And then uh, with other 5%, I'd probably give back to other churches that have supported you in the last couple of years, like this church. I'd, I'd give it back. And so he, he took that in. We talked through a next strategy of a couple other things. He needs surgery and so forth. So then we're, we're walking out and I prayed for him. And he said, listen, 
Pastor, I'm not that great about giving money. So could I maybe vacuum here at the church? And I said, nope, we don't need any vacuuming. No, our, we have special carpeting that is, uh, no, I didn't say that. But right away I said, no, we don't need vacuuming. We don't need vacuuming. I said, Samuel, you need, you need to give this money and honor God with it. Because there's a power in this coming money that you don't want to mess with. It's like playing with fire. You need to honor God. Right away, he said, oh, you know, there was one time I gave my last $5 bill to a friend. And then I found a $10 bill in the parking lot. I said, yes, that's another principle, right? <laughs> but what I'm talking about is the principle is he wants you to be careful because this is his wealth. And he wants you to not let it be a master over you, not give you power. That, that faith commitment card that we have in there Yes, it would be great help and support to us as church and ministry as you pray through, as Natalie suggested, what you want to give and invest. And it will help us plan and invest into 2019. But really, it's more about you. It's you being a shrewd, thoughtful, steward of all that God has given you and planning for investment. That, that's, the, that's the heart of it. Uh, that's what it's about. That, that we'd say, okay, Jesus, you, you gave us the word. We're, we can't stand before God and say, boy, I wish someone would have told us that I should have planned for life after death after life. He, he just told you, right? <laughs> I wish someone would have told me about the deceptive power that, that money can take mastery over. He just told you, right? That he's wanting us. He calls us people of light. Isn't that great? He said, it's not good that people of this world make better investments than people of life. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. You, I will give you wisdom. I will give you understanding. I will give you shrewd thinking and living if you would but listen. Speaking of true wealth, can we think for a moment about the wealth that this communion table represents. Is there any greater value than the forgiveness and mercy of God that is flowing from his throne room daily? Is there any greater value than being able to walk in communion in fellowship with the one true living God. 
Is there any greater value in the hope that he fills with us? That this is not all that there is. That Jesus will come again. That there is far more to life than this physical existence. There is in the spiritual realms a hope and a truth that he wants to grant in us as we meet him at the table. Father, we want to receive this morning as we began praying all that you have for us. Lord, we're so thankful that your rich mercy and your immense grace is available to us right now at the table. Would you come and prepare our hearts to receive the true riches of your communion table?